bull weevils in the cotton patch, king get them out. And it's all that we have to talk about. We've got good people and their beliefs. What we need for the people is a farm relief. And it looks to me we should all agree. What we need for the people is a farm relief. We can eat sow belly with turnip greens. But we sure do have to plan and scheme. We all start working at the break of day, and we don't get credit. Hello, welcome back to the American Writers, 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, Today, I'll be continuing to look at James Adge's Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. Uh, We talked about the first 100 pages of it in the last episode, and I I struggled with it. I grappled with it. I, I gave you some of my thoughts about this very, very difficult and, and challenging work of, of American literature and American reportage. Um, obviously, this was a collaboration between James Adge and Walker Evans, the photographer, who in 1936 went to Alabama to, to view uh, or to spend some time with uh, tenant farmers uh, there. And, and this is the work that was re- the result of it. It, did it. it seems to have started out with the intention of being sort of straight reportage, but by the end, by the time Angie got through with it, it was a commentary on many different um, things. Uh, art, literature, individualism, uh, the nature of relief, uh, kind of a, ver- a, uh, in a way, in a backhanded way, almost a criticism of some of the aspects of, of the New Deal. But the first part of the book, the first quarter of the book, is very, very individualized. In fact, the last quarter is the same way. It's the middle section, the middle 200 pages, the next, this episode and the next one that have that more of a reportage feel that, that like this is the life they live in material terms. Um, but he's never that far from it because, you know, as he says, like in the very beginning of the book in this introduction is, you know, you got to you basically got to eat to live. Right. And, and that's that's the material foundation, clothing, shelter, money at the end of the day. Um, but uh, he, the way he comes at this in the first part of the book is very challenging and unique and, 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 and not like other books of its, of its type. Um, when we get into part two, which is literally the part two of the book, but also part two of this, of this series, the, se- the second hundred pages, um, we get into a section called Some Findings and Comments, which is his more direct reporting on on what there is in what it's like to live what's what's life like for these three tenant families uh, the woods the rickets and the and the gruders um, so let's just jump into it um, this will be a little bit quicker I think because it is more straight straight reportage and a little bit a little bit less of the f- of the literary flair of the first part a little less experimental um, the first chapter of this section is called money and he starts with a kind of a some sarcasm here where he quotes Franklin Delano Roosevelt saying, you are farmers. I'm a farmer myself. Obviously Roosevelt wasn't, he was an aristocrat from, he was, uh, you know, in wealth his whole life in politics, his whole life. Um, but I think that's partially, uh, Adji's point here is that, you know, in these times of struggle, it's easy to kind of have a, this faux solidarity with, with the people you don't really understand. And at the end of the day, aren't doing that much to really help them out. I mean, not to downplay the farm relief programs and the AAA and things like that. You know, at the end of the day, they only went so far, right? And and so this this epitaph here is 
has a, has a, a fair degree of, of sarcasm in it, I think. Um, the actual material, what we learn is, is what we probably already know about these people, is that they're incredibly poor. Um, two of the families are, are tenant farmers, and they're the better off ones. Tenant farmers are a little bit better off because they, they sort of had more control over the land, what they grew. Uh, you know, once they paid rent, anything over that was theirs. Uh, the Gruders were, uh, were sharecroppers, half croppers, meaning they, they got to keep half of their crop at the end of the day. So the harder they worked, you know, the, you know, it was harder to kind of work their way out of, of poverty in this sense, because, you know, half of whatever you produced, if, if you produce more, half of that goes to the boss anyway. So the tenants were a little bit better off in general in these situations, but they're all pretty miserable and they all had very, very little money to live on. Um, the Ricketts were the most prosperous of, of these, and, and that really goes back to one good year they had uh, a, a way back. Um, and and so that's basically the short chapter just kind of dissects their their struggles, their their difficulties in, in, in just acquiring money day to day and how there was no kind of security year to year on what they have. Um, often they're kind of forced to do kind of wage labor on the side, often for the landlord who you know, them himself who's willing to, to pay day laborers. Now, what about the government? What does the government offer to them? Well, the AAA benefited mostly landowners, right? Because it basically gave money to landowners to not produce food to prevent overproduction, right? So in a, if it helped farm prices, that may have helped tenant farmers a little bit. But by and large, it meant that a lot of tenants faced eviction or faced... Uh, you know, or sharecroppers faced eviction, especially black farmers. These aren't black farmers, but it, they were particularly targeted by landowners who said, well, if I'm getting paid by the government not to grow crops, I'm not going to need as many tenants on my land, essentially. Uh, I could get government money for that. And not even WPA work really helped them. He writes, WPA work was available to very few tenants. They are technically employed and thus have no right to it. And if by chance they manage to get it, landlords are more likely than not to intervene. They feel it spoils a tenant to be paid wages, even for a little while. A tenant who so much tries to get such work is under disapproval. There is not enough direct relief even for the widows and old of the country. So, you know, I think he's not anti-New Deal. He just doesn't think the New Deal is doing enough to, to help the material conditions of these, of these people. So then we get a long section. It's like 80 pages, uh, 70, 70 pages or so. Uh, on shelter and I don't know what to, it's basically all that's left in this section of the book I'm supposed to cover for this this episode um, it's it's so long it has its own kind of table of contents its own outline that that edgy gives you now the vast majority of this is about the grouper house uh, where he spent most of his time but he also gives a brief summary of the woods house and the Ricketts house um, and you know it's a it's on the one hand this this account is very matter of fact and, and saying like, this is their, this is the furniture. This is the bed. This is the floor. This is the door. This is the, the garden. These are the outbuildings, all this. And, you know, in its simple, in the house's simplicity and it's in their, their overall lack of, of, of amenities. He's all very honest about, and, and there is this kind of feeling you're supposed to get of, of their, of their poverty by looking at where they live. I, I think of all these sections, he spends the most time talking about their home, which is, of course, the most intimate place. It's also 
the part of one's life that's the maybe the most hidden from the public right one might see the clothing you wear right but what's in your home is is more private but i think this goes back to actually adji's rather ambivalence uh, his feeling that he's kind of a voyeur and his anxiety about that because he kind of comes back to that theme a little bit here like what right do I have to to be in their house what right do I have to talk about their private dwellings that's what I'm supposed to do and that's part of the story but he doesn't really feel comfortable being a part of this um, and right he says for instance the silence of my brightness in this middle morning is increased upon me moment by moment on this house and upon the nest matters no human being may see there's a cold beating in my solar plexus i move in exceeding slowness and silence that i shall not dishonor nor awaken this house and in every instance of silence it becomes more entirely perfected upon itself under the sun i take warmed water from the bucket without sound and it brings the sweat out sharply and i wipe it away remembering in shame his labor george in this instant hard in the strenuous heat and under and upon the tan surface of this continent this awful field where cotton is made infinitesimal the ant-like glistening of the sweat labors of nine million i remember how in hot early puberty realizing myself left alone in the hole of a cavernous and gloomed afternoon in my grandfather's large unsentineled house i would be taken to the pit of the stomach with, with the most bitter criminal gliding and sold serpent restiveness and would wander from vacant room to vacant room examining into every secrecy from fungoid undergrowth to rare hot to rare hot roof and from the roofs would gaze in anguish and content contempt on the frauded suffocations of the midsummer city end quote so he's talking about how he's comparing his own experience in the gruber home with his voyeuristic feeling that i have no right to be here this is not the place that someone should should walk into right man's home is his castle right but nevertheless it's his job and so he proceeds to do it in a very brutal and systematic way and and i find that kind of fascinating now he's so detailed here that he even will talk about like the stuff they have pasted on the wall like the different notes and the like newspaper clippings and things like that that are literally pasted on the house he even talks about the odors in the house uh and the particular smell of the southern tenant farmer's home based on the their sweat their labor the stuffiness of it the the food they they eat all this stuff is described in in you know this systematic detail room by room literally um the children's room the kitchen um and everywhere we see the sense of, of just of lacking, of, of absence of, of stuff, right? Um, quote, the second, this too is true. I think he's talking about the storeroom. Uh, this too is true of any place, yet it is the most powerful where all the materials of structure are bare before one as they are. It is having scientifically examined, or if by blueprint, how such a house is made from the ground up in every strictly sized part of its wood and in every tightening nail and with nearly every inch in this open to the eye as it is within one of these homes to let all these things each of its places and all its relationships in their full substance be at once driven upon your consciousness one center end quote um that's what he does so he does this most thoroughly with the grouper home uh, so this section 70 pages as i said 
and 50 of that is just a description of the Grouper home where he seems to have spent most of his his time um, including the bedroom right uh, and and that's where he kind of reflects in a in a very subtle way about the the sex life of the of the Grubers. Um, after that, he he meditates on the Woods House a little bit, which is is much the same. I, I think like he only does a couple pages. I, I he sort of says that they're all the same essentially. These homes eventually are they're 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 not that unique. You sort of you've seen one tenant farmer's home, you've seen them them all in a way. Um, I don't know if that's fully true, but that's his impression, anyways. Um, then, so what to make of this? Well, Adji adds to this uh, kind of a section called notes, and he writes these notes, which might well be the proper device for any amount of expansion, redefinition, and linkage might be just as brief as I can make them. It will probably be necessary to make unsupported statements or to raise problems rather than to try to answer them. Of the unsupported statements, please know that I have considered their background as scrupulously as I'm able, and of the problems that I want to answer, or at least to consider them as fully as possible in the course of time. So he says, so these are like, this is where he allows some reflections on, on, on various issues in the home. Um, one of these is beauty, where he, basically the question is, are these homes beautiful? These stingy, often bare, dreary, smelly homes, are they, are they beautiful? And he says yes in a, in a fashion, right? Beauty can't be intentional, he says. Uh, beauty is something coming from instinct. It's kind of accident. Can't be from the quote, power of intention. Um, and he says here, and he, you know, this compare he brings up Beethoven all the time in this book, but uh, here he does it again. Or the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. Four is importantly, among other things, a blind work of nature, of the world, and of the human race. And of the partition wall of the Gruber's front bedroom is importantly, among other things, a great tragic poem. So their beauty comes in its its realism and it's being part of the human experience, and part of the the human story. So then he brings up the question of what he calls relations and averages. Essentially, this is the question of like, is this a typical house, right? And it's already been sort of suggested, and now he focuses on the Groupers and, and kind of gave the Ricketts and Woods homes uh, a brief cursory glance, suggesting that, yeah, there is sort of just the standard house. There's a distinctiveness that comes out of each family's individual experiences, but there is such a thing as kind of the common house. Um, but nevertheless, there's, it's not the cookie cutter houses of, of like suburban America. Quote, on the other hand, and though they fulfill any number of the average tenant characteristics, they possess or they differ seriously in this respect. They lack the rigid and mass produced look which comes in the near identities of the most usual forms. The Gruber's double house type with his open hallway, which incidentally is one of the finest designs I know of, is rare and must be deprived of the double houses of square logs which were the homes of the more substantial frontier and mountain farmers uh, and he goes on to talk about the others that there are there is a distinctive there's something special about these houses too because they are kind of coming from history they come out of the these working class experiences and so while they're typical and in one sense not that special each individual dweller is able to invest in them a certain distinctiveness and then 
the the age of these homes. And he gets to the age of the homes later on. Like no 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 one really knows how old these homes are, how back they go. Um, you know that they are of history, but that history is unclear and it's kind of lost. Just uh, in the records aren't there for how old these 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 homes are. Even he talks about how former slave quarters are used as tenant farmers' homes. Well, are they livable? Well, in a, in a practical sense, they are. People live there, so they obviously are livable. He calls it general habit habitability, and you know things like. Running water, lighting, sanitation, all these things. Obviously, they're lacking, but at the end of the day, these homes are lived in. So in that sense, they're, they're, they're livable. But there is that kind of a middle-class eye that, that Adji can't fully escape as he gazes upon these homes. He comes to this with the bathroom, saying, uh, they retire to the bushes, saying they don't have running water, they don't have modern bathrooms. Quote, they retire to the bushes and they clean themselves as well as they can with newspapers if they have the, any around the house, otherwise with corn cobs, twigs, or leaves. To say that they're forced to this res in this respect to live like animals is a little silly, for animals have the advantage of them on many counts. I'll say then that whether or not the bathroom beautiful is to be preached to all nations, it is not to their, to their advantage in a civilized world to have use themselves as the simplest savages do. I don't know. So there's like uh, the missionary spirit, like this idea, all, all people should be like us, right? When you have this intense inequality, even, even at home. So this is followed by a little section called uh, recessional and vortex, which is all about the animals on these farms. And there's, there's kind of interesting stuff here about the relationship between the animals and the children and how the animals are treated. Um, and the same kind of lacking and want shape relationship with animals quote animals are fed and cared for in proportion to their usefulness the cow and the mule and hogs first and the dogs etc cats are casually but thoroughly disliked and are given nothing they are never fed far less caressed yet their presence in certain forms of theft are tolerated end quote ah poor cats I feel bad for the cats my poor cat is still missing what a pity um yeah i guess that's it i mean this is i told you this would be a shorter episode it's um, yeah, but I think there's, he's really onto something here about, again, the sociological eye, the, the way the, the reporter, the investigator, the, the scholar enters a community like this or talks to or about people like this, doing so with that, that kind of gaze, that middle class gaze, that educated gaze, that elitist gaze, and you know, wants to see these homes as something that needs to be fixed, right? Uh, obviously, this is an issue, like, even in urban renewal, right? Like, this is an ongoing issue of of urban, you know, when cities, like, a mayor comes in to power and says, oh, I'm going to make it my job to clean up the city and, and pr promote urban renewal. Well, often that means gentrification. Often that means tearing down existing homes that look from the outside and look to certain people as a ghetto or as a bad neighborhood tear it down and replace it with some new stuff right with new plumbing and and stone countertops and, and all these fancy things well what does that really mean well it means higher rents and it means these people are going to be pushed out of their homes and it and even more profoundly i think for edgy's point it's not even going that far it's just it, it's it's an inherent disrespect for what has been created by very 
um, by these people, right? Disadvantaged as they are, they created something. They created something unique that can't really just be replaced uh, very easily. And so, you know, we should judge with uh, some humility, I guess. I, I think that's the point of this. I, I kind of like this section. I think it's, it's, although there's maybe not so much to say about it, I think it, it's rather powerful. It does drag on a little bit, I guess. And I could imagine many readers being tempted to maybe skip over parts like that. Um, so in the next episode, I'll, I'll do the next, uh, the, the third part of Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, where we get a little, another on the porch uh, aside by Adji. Then we get to talk about the clothing, their work, and the education of the kids mostly and then that'll take us to the final part of the book which is is back to edgy playing a plain kind of literary modernist with with the, with the readers and doing some interesting stuff um so yeah that's all for now uh sorry for the short episode or maybe um maybe you're welcome uh either way um i hope to hear from you about your thoughts about uh, James Adji's Let Us Now Praise Famous Men if you've had the pleasure to to read it. Um, but I'll see you next time. Um, thanks all always for listening. What we need for the people is the farm relief. Too high in the market, too low. We ask for credit and they all say no. We got good people and they all know well what the poor old...